This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. Welcome to Tuesday's episode. Yes, I'm talking a little bit quieter because Milo and my husband are in the living room. So I'm recording this on Thursday. So this was the day that we had broken skull designs or is it skulls? Okay, I just checked. It's broken skull designs. They came and did two walls in my house. So as you can imagine, my two dogs were so annoying. So there was no way that I could record an introduction for the podcast today because, well, first of all, there was like sawing and drilling and all that stuff going on and the dogs bark nonstop. I shouldn't say nonstop. Every once in a while I go down in the basement with them and they'll be quiet for a little while, but then they start barking again. And it was like, I want to give them some CBD or like an anxiety medication. It's bubbles. Like he thinks he is protecting the entire house at all times. Have you looked in the mirror bubbles? You're not protecting anybody from anything. Anyways, I also did not sleep last night at all. All week I have barely slept because it's that time of the month. This month is particularly bad and I've been looking into our cycles and how you can kind of live with your cycle and be productive and do certain exercises and eat a certain diet based on what point of your cycle you're at. And I'm super interested to learn more about it. I think I'm going to find someone to come on the podcast because that's what I do, right? If I'm interested in something, I find someone to come talk to me and I make it a show. Anywho, this episode is not about cycles. It is about all the topics that I love talking about, like nuanced relationship and marriage things, post baby, mom guilt, Like this conversation just kind of goes everywhere. I based a lot of it around a blog post that she had written on her website. It's psychedmommy.com. And it was about five traps to not fall into with your partner as parents. And so we dove into those. Dr. Asherina Reem is the creator and psychologist behind the wildly popular Instagram account, psychedmommy. If you don't already follow her account, you definitely will after you hear this episode. So without further ado, please welcome Dr. Reem to the mom room. Okay, I did it again, guys. Okay, I was going to say your name and I didn't ask you how to pronounce it. This is like my toxic trait as a podcast host. Like I never know how to say people's names. How do you pronounce your first name? I will give you some credit here. My name is Asherina. So Asherina. my first name is Asherina. <laughs> yeah, it's not like Sarah. <laughs> yeah. When I go to the doctor's office and there's a pause, I'm like, it's me. It's my turn. So, yeah. 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 Asherina. <laughs> okay. So 
excited to have you on. I first wanted to ask you about your background in psychology, like what your training was in and then how that kind of merged into social media, how you got started on social media. Totally. I have, I don't even know if I ever usually answered this question. I have a master's and doctorate degree in clinical psychology and started off doing a lot of different work. I started off working in eating disorder recovery, body image work. That's what my PhD is in, is in eating disorders. That's so random. I know. I know. I love that work. I find it fascinating. Um, I found it very fulfilling. And I moved into like a lot of health psychology and like neurocognitive work, doing a lot of evaluations for any kind of cognitive issues. I also worked in psycho-oncology, like MD Anderson Cancer Center here in the U.S. is pretty big. And then I went on maternity leave. I became Mm. a mom. (laughs) I was actually experiencing some perinatal mood and anxiety disorders during my pregnancy and didn't really have the vocabulary for it. I don't think I had the the words for what my experience, like what I was going through, which is so strange as a psychologist to not know what I'm experiencing, but knowing like I don't feel like myself. So I went through this experience in my pregnancy and back backstory, I had a lot of fertility challenges, miscarriages, and then now I'm pregnant. I'm super anxious. And then I have my son and I'm like, oh, I'm on edge. Like I am stressed out. I'm anxious. I'm worried about everything. I don't feel like myself. (laughs) Is this what everyone's been like raving about? Because it's not my experience, you know? (laughs) Hashtag blessed. (laughs) Yes. And after I went through that, I was like, I have, I need to know more. There's no way I'm going to be able to just like forget this ever happened. And that's where I kind of dived really deep into perinatal mental health. Started my training then and my, my son was tiny. And I was still like in the throes of postpartum doing this research into what it was all about. And then there was no looking back for me. At that point, I was like, you know what? If I'm a psychologist and I'm going through this and I didn't have a clue about this experience, then I wonder what the rest of the parents out there are experiencing. Mm -hmm. And I want to shed some light on this experience. And that's kind of, I started off, I was still working at the hospital, but then I would like post some stuff on social media here and there. And I found out like people actually wanted to know more about that. And then all of these moms particularly were coming like, oh my gosh, I didn't know what that was called. I didn't know that was, that's my experience too. There's a word for that. And it took off and there's no turning back. And I'm, I mean, obviously my, my experience was challenging, but it serves a pretty big purpose. How old is your son? Five and a half. Okay. Milo's four. So similar, but similar to you, When I was experiencing like in postpartum, even just things that are like normal with regard to like everyone is experiencing like the recovery and the waking at night. And I was just like, does everybody feel this way? Like (laughs) I'm shocked. And then I, I remember thinking back to everyone that I knew who had recently had a baby and like my visits with them and how like they didn't say anything and like they just seemed totally fine. And I'm like, am I the only one that finds this incredibly difficult? And, but it's not, but I'm happy that the conversation is kind of, people are being more open about it and like, yeah, this is really hard. And I was always like, I have a super supportive partner and like we don't struggle financially and like I'm still like this is so hard so I'm always thinking about 
what other people must be going through. So yeah, and that's kind of like how I started doing all of this too. I was like, this is a wild experience. Nobody talks about it. So I'm going to start making TikToks and start a podcast. And now that's just what I do. So yeah, yay us. There's definitely a need, right? Yeah. It's like if people are like, (laughs) they're so fascinated and interested because there's a need. Yeah, no, 100%. I gave you some topics that I wanted to chat with you about and I had them in a specific order. And then you sent me a blog post on one of the topics that I wanted to talk about. And I was like, this has to be first because it's so important. People like listeners of the show love relationship stuff. I love all the points in that blog post. So the title is five traps that parents should avoid with regard to their relationship. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain about each of these points So the first one is not sharing the load of parenthood. So can we chat a little bit about that? Yes, of course we can. So if you are, I mean, if you're a parent, you know there's a load. It's often is kind of invisible load. And we refer to it primarily as the invisible load of motherhood because women, mothers tend to kind of get defaulted into these roles. So invisible work is the, unnoticed, uncompensated, physical, mental, emotional labor that kind of gets completed behind the scenes and it helps keep your house going. I mean, you're thinking of anything from like the dishes to packing the lunches, filling out the forms for the school. But then there's other things that are like the emotional load that we carry, helping our children navigate tantrums and when they're upset or they're hurt. But then there's this really, really, really big piece of this and it's the mental load. And as a mom myself and as a mom yourself, you know that like that little Rolodex of things to do (laughs) is never ending. And we carry that load. We're like thinking ahead, like, okay, I need to actually change out those clothes because they're all getting a little too small. And you know, they're, (laughs) he's got high waters right now and it's cold outside and none of these fit. So your brain is filled with this invisible mental load as well. So there's all of these things. And we think about how overwhelming that is. But moms, historically, and the research supports this, is that they carry most of this load. They get defaulted into this role. Because they do, the load isn't shared equally. And when the load isn't shared equally, I mean, what happens? This breeds bitterness, resentment. You don't feel like you're in a fair partnership. You start to feel distant from your partner. And that's where this is really important to address because, I mean, who wants to be in a partnership where they feel like they are carrying a majority of the load? It reminds me of like when you are in school and you're doing like a group presentation and (laughs) that one person does all the work and then everybody else skates by with the A. Maybe not the best comparison, but you get what I'm saying. It makes sense. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And so when, when we're in this partnership and it isn't shared, you're like, well, great. You just got a free ride. Yeah. And like sometimes it's even hard to verbalize what it is that is the mental load that you are doing all day. Like I remember in quarantine when my husband would come home and be like, oh, what'd you do today? I'm like... I can't even answer this question, but I haven't stopped moving. But like, I can't tell you what I've been doing. Sometimes I want to attach like a GoPro to my head (laughs) and just be like, this is everything that I've done. 
you know? Because it's hard to answer. Even with my job that I do right now, like with social media and like the podcast, it's nonstop, tiny little tasks all day. And so when it's like, oh, what'd you do today? I'm like, I haven't stopped, but I can't really give you an answer. So how do you recommend people, if they want to share that load, how do you go about bringing that up with your partner and kind of identifying things that they could be taking over? Well, there's a number, and I think this is going to look really different for different families. And obviously our partner can't take over. Like, I don't expect my partner to take over all of my mental load because some of that stuff is just my stuff. Yes. Like guilt. I used to get so jealous. Like, (laughs) like, how are you not like having mental guilt right now? You know, if we're watching a movie on the weekend or something, and my husband's able to just chill and enjoy that moment. And I'm like, oh my God, we should be doing something. Like we, you know, got to go to the park. Like, so yeah, some of it is impossible to, <laughs> to Yeah, I'm not going to like tell you to worry about something. I actually just had this conversation last week. It's like a silly system here in Arizona for school. I like, I did all, this is the labor that's invisible here. I'm just going to go ahead and document it because I need a pat on the back. <laughs> but it was like registering our son for kindergarten. I did like all the research to figure out like what school, like, cause it's like, there's some, it's like a lottery system for some of the local schools here. You enter your name in a lottery by a certain deadline and they tell you if like your kid is in the school. It's like a public charter school. So I did all this work. I get like an, an email and it's like, oh, he, he got offered a seat there. Cool. This is a free school. This is a free program. It's local to me. This is all great news. And I did all the back work. My husband just showed up, you know, he got his, his gold star. I, I'm being funny, but <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> and then I'm like, whoa, I was like, I went to go talk to him about it. I'm like, aren't you so relieved that's taken care of? Like, weren't you a little worried? And he's like, no, no. Why would I worry about that? He's like, I mean, whatever, we'd have figured it out. And I'm like, sure. Yeah. And one thing (laughs) that I don't think people talk about is I feel like for the most part, it's moms who are following parenting accounts, who are listening to parenting podcasts. So we're gathering all these tools to be able to manage certain situations with our children, like whether it be like a meltdown or tantrum, bedtime struggles. And that is also like a huge invisible load. Like you're the one that is taking time to learn tools and strategies to parent and your partner might not be doing the same. I know my husband doesn't. Like he would never be like, oh, we're having a difficult bedtime. Let me like look into this and, you know, pick someone's brain that's like a sleep specialist, like never. So then now you're relaying that information to your partner and you've already done all the work gathering that information. Nobody talks about that part of it. And I think there's a number of things here. So this goes back to like, obviously what we value and our partner is not going to value all the things that we value. So I, I, I jokingly, I poke fun at my husband, but like, honestly, that's not, maybe that's not something he values. And he would have been just great figuring it out last minute and it wouldn't have stressed him out at all. And when we think about it, we have to sit down and think about like the big picture view. We have to think about like, is there a right or wrong way? Sometimes like if it, this includes safety, obviously there is a right or wrong way, but there are so many things that we want them done in a certain way. And that makes it a bit more challenging, right? But when we're talking about the load and how we redistribute this, and this is something that I talk about quite frequently, you almost have to kind of have like a team meeting with your partner where you sit down and you talk about like, okay, 
I don't maybe know, maybe I, maybe I don't have like all of the words because this is challenging. It's not like I can like come up with every single thing I do, but let's go through some of the tasks that are within our home, within our system that are important. Maybe this is the morning routine, drop-offs for school, who's making meals, bedtime routine. You have to figure out what these are for your family. And you write, you sit down together, you write down all of your tasks, but you also want your partner to include some of the tasks that they do that contribute to the household. Because my guess is there are going to be some tasks that they do that you kind of like just not thought about too much. Breaking down boxes in the (laughs) garage. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like there are plenty of things, right? That each of us contribute to the the relationship to the home dynamic. And you want to like write them all down. And then say like, okay, whose name are we going to write next to this task? Who's going to like take ownership of this task? Because what we find is when two people sit down, they talk about this and they agree, there's an agreement, things feel more fair. And that is where it's important. And it's not going to always be even. I think that is the misconception that we have, that it's always going to be 50-50. Like you're going to go through seasons of your life where you're going to carry more of the load. And then there's going to be another season where maybe your partner is carrying more of the load. And this will just be, it'll wax and wane throughout the course of your partnership and throughout your family system. So you want to have these conversations. You want to agree on things, but then you also want to kind of check back in. Like, okay, I noticed this is what we talked about. This is happening this way and it's not working or, or we agreed on this, but you know what? Like, there's a lack of follow through on my end or your end or whatever that, what that might look like. And you want to continue having these conversations. It's going to feel really weird at first. Like are we having like a, you know, lunch meeting at home (laughs) about, it's going to feel weird. But the more that you're having these conversations, the better it is because your partner might be completely unaware. And it's not that they are not on board to help, or I don't even like to use the word help. They don't want to like co-parent with you, or they don't want to come alongside you to do the tasks of the home that two people should be responsible for. They are kind of like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing but thank you for bringing that to my attention. I wasn't trying to intentionally, you know, ignore that or not do that. But I remember someone messaged me the other day. I don't know what it was like. She was replying to one of my stories or something. And she was saying how typically she would in the evening, give all the kids a bath and do that whole thing while her husband did other stuff. And she was like, I had to actually verbalize to him like, you know, you give the kids a bath. I've been with them all day. That's helping me. Like that's a break. But he had no clue that, you know, a break from childcare would be something that she would want or, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just like, oh, she's giving the kids a bath. But when you've been with little kids all day, you know, Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like I just need to to, to not do this. Yeah. <laughs> so like it's, it's true like he was probably, you know, doing other stuff while she got that done and I was like, "Yes, like good for you for realizing that need in yourself, but then also verbalizing it in a way that was not like you know, trying like where they get defensive. It was just like, "Oh, I had no idea that that would help you." So, yeah, I love that topic. All these topics I could talk like forever about. The second one was that couples don't know how to communicate. So you mentioned like the I statements versus the you statements. Mm -hmm. So important. I always, every single client I meet with, we talk about sending a message, how you'd like to receive it. 
Ooh, that's hard. When we are feeling resentful, when we're feeling bitter, when we feel like we're carrying the load, it, you want to resort back to like, you want to attack in a sense. You want your partner to feel all the feelings that you've been holding inside. And I get that those feelings are justified for a lot of people. If you have been doing a lot of this on your own, or you are not on the same page with your partner, but when we're yelling, when we're blaming, or we're avoiding storming out, stonewalling, whatever the case may be, we're, we're not working as a team. And the whole thing with communicating with our partner is you always want to send a message how you'd like to receive it, but you want to remember what that goal is, like the overarching goal of your communication. And you think about it from the perspective of, do we want to be on the same page? At the end of this, do I want us to have like a stronger relationship? Do I want it to work better? Or is this just about helping my partner understand how deeply I'm feeling this pain or this, you know, unfairness or whatever the case may be. And even if that is the answer, there's a way to do that that isn't so harmful. I always like to do a little bit of perspective taking when it comes to communication. And I do this myself. A psychologist, I <laughs> meet with parents and couples all the time. And if something is bothering me in my, my relationship, I'm like, ooh, I just want to say, you know, this right now. And then I'm like, okay, Asherina, but like, would you want to hear that? Ever. Would you ever want to hear that? And what would you do if you did hear that? Probably not anything good. So I always have to cut, like take that perspective and think, okay, now how do I want to say this? I want to communicate some basic things. My feelings, my positive needs. This is like a really easy framework to think of it. What's What are my feelings? What are my positive needs? And then adding on like, what I'd like to see happen. So like I have been feeling really overwhelmed lately and making it about me, like what, like what that is, my positive need, you know, I need you to give the kids a bath tonight. And that would be so incredibly helpful to me because it would make me feel like, you know, the, the load is a bit more fair around here or whatever the case may be. And I'm not giving people scripts because scripts are whatever. Um, but people are want, like writing notes. I know, yeah. Like I'm like, that's not, that's not like, the, that's not it. But I want to talk, like we always want to do that because when we start, you know, the you, the blaming, the you never, we can't really do a whole lot with the criticism. Like you never do this or you always do that or you suck at this. That's kind of dead end. But when we talk about what our feeling is and what our positive need is, that we can take action from those, with those shifts in our communication. And that's where we give our partner something to work on, something that they actually feel invested in. Like, okay, well, I see this is causing harm. I see that there's a need. I can move with this. But now you just blame me. I'm really defensive and I want to attack too. So this takes a lot of work. And I know that I could go on and on and on about that, but that's like the basic framework for, we need to learn how to communicate with one another where it makes sense. And we're working towards this overarching goal that we actually want to move forward as a couple. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume 
consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double-action combination of prescription-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner... I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. I always tell people, try not to react in the moment because you haven't had time to even understand why you're feeling the way you're feeling and like how you can frame it in a positive way. In, and I talk about this all the time, but it's the perfect example of when my husband would come home from work in quarantine. He's a physician, so he was working. I would get so irritated it took me a few days and I'm like, okay, this is, this doesn't make sense. Like I'm so excited for him to come home because I've been home alone with like an 18 month old all day. So why am I so irritated once he comes in the door? So I like sat there thinking about it and I'm like, oh, it's because I expect him to come in and hang out with us, like take over childcare, like so I can go do other stuff around the house that I've wanted to get done, whatever. But he would come in, say hi, and like go start making dinner or washing the dishes. It was always washing the dishes. And I was like, okay, like, so like nothing changed. I've been home alone all day. And then he's finally home. I've been waiting all day. And then he's just off doing something. So I had to be like, I'm really excited for you to get home. And then you come home and like, it's almost like my feelings are hurt because you're not like hanging out with us. Like you're going to do the dishes. And a lot of people are like, oh my God, I wish my husband would do the dishes. I'm (laughs) like, that's not the point. That's not my need in that moment. Like I want to connect with my husband, but it was very much like, okay, why do I feel this way? What are like my expectations when he does come home? You know, sometimes I think we're not even aware of what our expectations are. And it's like, 
you know, I assumed my whole life was going to change once he walked through the door. So I had to kind of like reel that in and be like, you know, my life's not going to change that much mm-hmm. <laughs> when he comes home. So yeah. The third one was that you're getting the wrong kind of support. I love you just, it, this you one. Just, you just gave it to us. Yeah. You just gave it to us. Yeah. Asking for what we need. <laughs> yes. And then it's funny because as a woman, because I have talked about these examples, you know, another example was him making pancakes on Saturday morning. It's very specific because I think it's good to be specific, you know, like I, again, like finally it's Saturday morning, we're both at home, we can chill with our coffee and he's up making pancakes, like this big breakfast in the kitchen. So I'm back to doing childcare by myself again while he's like dilly-dallying in the kitchen. And so when I put content like this out, people lose their damn minds because they're like, your poor husband, like he just, you know, you should be thanking him. He's coming home doing the dishes. He's making breakfast on Saturday morning. And I'm like, but that's not my need, you know? So yeah, elaborate on that. I could talk all day about this. No, this is exactly it. And I think it's so important when we talk about like what our needs are. And often our partner will provide support in the way that they appreciate it and the way that they desire it. And they think they're doing a stellar job because they're like, oh, I'd love for somebody to come home and wash the dishes. <laughs> or make yeah. me pancakes. <laughs> yes. Maybe he's like an acts of service kind of guy. He is. is. He, okay. <laughs> you know, so this is, this would make perfect sense. And for you, that is not your need. That is not, that's not what fills your tank. That's not what makes you feel refueled to show up as the, like the best mom, wife, partner, you know, colleague, whatever it may be. So yes, it's very important to get the right kind of support because if we have a need for support and we're getting support, but it's, it's not what we need, it's kind of null, right? It's, it's like, okay, well, that's nice. And sometimes it even backfires. It's like, (laughs) this is actually the opposite of what I need, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of women, like when they hear my examples like that, they're like, oh my God, they feel like they're not even allowed to feel upset that their husband's making a big breakfast. He's gone to cut the grass for two hours on Saturday afternoon. Like, because it's something productive and on paper it looks great, they feel like they can't even bring it up as, you know, something that they would maybe want to change. It's hard. That right there, though, when we think about that message and where we learned this message, that we as women, and I'm going to go there, like we as women, like it's it's like, okay, well, if we're getting a need met or we're getting some kind of support, it's better than, you know, no support. And this goes back to early, early programming and the life that, you know, it's, you think about how generationally, how we're raised, we're oftentimes we're raised in systems, not all for everybody, but in many cases, we are raised in a system where we're not allowed to have needs as kids, generationally speaking, I'm a millennial, an elder millennial, I don't know, but we're not allowed to have these specific needs because, you know, people kind of, your parents might say that you're not allowed to have those feelings. You're not allowed to express those needs or those wants. So it's really tricky for us to understand what those needs are when we've lived in a system or like any length of time where someone is telling us that we're not allowed to express those things. And then you you add another layer of being a woman and where it is not necessarily, 
I don't want to say it's not acceptable, but it's not like it's advertised that women should be speaking their needs, asking for what they want and desire because we're seen as being bitchy, being aggressive, being you name it, whatever label it is. So it it adds to these stereotypical gendered norms of what a woman should be like, what she should accept or, you know, how her partner should contribute to a relationship and she should basically just zip it and accept what is. And I know I'm going like, that's a little maybe off for some people, but I think that this speaks to that. It's like, we're not allowed to ask for what we need because we're seen a certain way. And that's where we need to kind of break out of the box and say, no, in fact, I am allowed to have very specific needs for support, and I'm allowed to communicate them. And my need for support might not match up to my partner's desire to provide support, but we can talk about this and we can figure out what it is that works in our partnership. And that is so important. That's important work. It's breaking generational cycles. It's showing up in your relationship in a meaningful way. It's going to allow you to develop deeper intimacy in your relationship because you're like, wow, this is what I'm talking about, right? Not only like I have a need, you're filling this need and we're not going to always get it right. It's not going to always be perfect, but man, we are, we are working on this. We're working on this together. So I think that you asking for specifics on what those needs are, sometimes this is hard because if you are used to suppressing what those needs are as a woman or as a mom, it's going to take some work to figure out what is it? What was it that I needed right there? And like for you, you're like, I don't want to be doing any more childcare right here. And I can relate to that. I'm like, I will pack lunches. You do bed and bath time because I just need a quiet minute, you know? Yeah, totally. And then sometimes you also get met with like, oh, your husband comes home and does the dishes. I wish. Mine goes and plays video games. And it's like, do you follow um, Laura Danger, that darn chat? She talks a lot about like the division of labor and like fair play and whatnot. And anyways, she had this quote. I don't know if it was her quote or from somewhere else, but it was basically like mediocre men benefit from like shitty men because that's our comparison, right? Like, oh, your husband does the dishes. Well, mine plays video games. So you're lucky, you know, instead of being like, okay, well, can't we like, reach for the stars. No, the (laughs) bar is low. Yeah. Yeah, totally. On the floor sometimes, but (laughs) you should follow her. She has great content. I will. I will for sure. Okay. Number four, expectations. We already kind of talked a little bit about it, but yeah. What are your thoughts on expectations? I think that having unrealistic expectations, I mean, this happens. It's a part of life, right? We will, it's like saying, I expected you to do X, Y, and Z the way that I do it. Sometimes these are the unrealistic expectations that we project on our partner. And that is the challenging part. Or we expect them to know and understand things without communicating them. And I think this is the challenge. And this is, I know this is a big thing because we already carry so much of this invisible labor that we're like, I don't want to know how to tell you what to do. I don't want to have to tell you to go look at, you know, all of these things and, you know, make sure that you're doing this correctly. I don't want to have to micromanage you. You just got to show up and do it. So there's a piece of this that I I like to say, like coming alongside your partner. It's like you don't want to have to coach them or parent them. You want them to know and you want to trust that they know how to, to do these things. But there is a learning curve there. You like there are like, okay. For example, does your is your is your husband going to know that when he comes home and he's washing the dishes that it's going to irk you? No, like that's something I need to tell him. Right? Yeah, he was shocked. He was like, "What?" 
<laughs> He's like, I was thought I was doing great here. He's like, let me get this straight. You don't want me to wash the dishes. Like, no. <laughs> You're like, you, I want you to do that after you yeah, get yeah. that time. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally kidding. People are going to come at me. No, um, but I think that it's like, okay, I de- identifying. Am I setting an unrealistic expectation on my partner? Am I expecting them to do something I haven't communicated? Am I expecting them to do something that I actually do? Because they are their own person. And for example, they're going to do bedtime how they do bedtime. And I can't be like, okay, well, you didn't put the right pajamas on or you didn't read the book that we had set out. Like these are things that are like throwaway things. Let your partner figure it out for themselves. But sometimes we do because we're so used to being that primary caretaker or we're used to being that default parent. And we have a way of doing things that we're like, you're not doing it right. And that's where we have to really be like, okay, well, is this unrealistic? Because I mean, I'm sure I'm doing this differently than, you know, so many parents out there. Is there a right or wrong way to do this? Is this a non-negotiable? And those are some of the unrealistic expectations that I'm talking about. Yeah. And does it matter? Totally. You know, like, does it really matter that my husband doesn't rinse his hair as much as I would like to rinse his hair? Like, no, it doesn't. Like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> so just, it. <laughs> just move along. Okay, the last one is resentment. I liked your examples that you gave in that blog post. So let's chat about resentment. I felt like what you were describing in the blog post was a little bit like martyr syndrome as well, like getting frustrated and just like, oh, I'll just do it myself. And like, instead of asking for help. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So resentment is toxic to a relationship, right? And often what resentment is a product of is this buildup of unmet needs. I'll give another example. I can't even remember the example in the blog, but I will give you an example of this your partner leaving to go do something for themselves. Like maybe they golf, maybe they spend time with their friends, maybe they have like whatever hobby, they go to do it. And you say, oh, cool, yeah, like that's great. You can do that. You should do that. I don't know what the the setup is in your relationship. And you are fuming and you don't say anything, but you're like, whatever, I'll do this. I'll stay home with the kids another day. I mean, I've only been doing it for five full days and Hey, and you're you're not expressing that there is a need there. There are feelings there. You're saying to your partner, hey, that's fine. I don't mind. And now when they come home, you're arguing about them not throwing away some like a dirty napkin or they didn't put their dish in the sink or in the dishwasher. And you're fighting about something that's like kind of irrelevant off topic and that wouldn't necessarily upset you in in a normal situation. But you have so much resentment towards this relationship because something feels unfair. And that's what we're, when we're talking about resentment, it's a product of that unmet need. And what that need, need is looks different for every partnership. And in your partnership, maybe it's like saying, actually, no, I'm not okay with that because I wanted you to stay home and we could do something as a family, or I wanted to take a break. Or it could look like I'm feeling resentful because me observing you going to do fun things is a reminder of everything I've lost. I don't have my social engagement right now. I'm not being social with friends. I'm not getting to have time away. And this just feels like salt on a wound because I'm not getting to take that time for myself. So this can show up in a number of ways. And obviously this is one example of how resentment can build. But when we don't communicate like how you're truly feeling and instead you're stuffing it, 
or you've got like all these unmet needs for maybe time for yourself or being social or feeling just like a human being outside of being a mother or wife or partner, whatever the case may be, you're going to notice these feelings creep up. And that's why it's so important to address this, to talk about it, like really quickly. I mean, I know it's hard to do it immediately, but to talk about it, maybe like, maybe that happened and maybe your partner went out golfing. I, this is the golfing is like such a common theme. I, I'm sorry. I can't like, <laughs> thank God my husband does not golf and he's terrible at it because like, I'm sorry, a hobby that lasts all day on like totally. a Saturday, like no. Off limits in my house. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> no, maybe during retirement. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's a, that's a, such a big one. And honestly, I feel like it comes up every time I meet with parents. It's like golfing. They call it, now there's like a term for it, like a golf widow, where somebody will say, my partner goes golfing all day, and then I'm left with another day. So it's like, ah, let me be honest about these feelings. What can happen? Can this change? Can we say this is not a good idea or a good hobby? Or can we say like, okay, well, if that's the case for Saturday on Sunday, I'm going to go do whatever it is that fills my cup, but having an agreement with your partner. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. 
Resentment too. I feel like for the most part, like the mom has the baby. The mom is the one that takes like the leave from work. They are recovering and it's easy for their partner to maintain his friendships and regular social life as it was pre-baby. And then moms get like, get sucked into this, like being isolated and like, you know, having to stop going to the gym because they're recovering and then not seeing friends. And it's like, it's easy for couples to fall into that, I think, where one partner you know, keeps up with all their hobbies and is still a fulfilled human being, like all parts of a human being, whereas the mom loses a lot of that. And so, yeah, resentment central, like. Yeah, if I, the one theme that comes up for so many moms, this came up for me too, is that your whole world gets shifted. Everything shifts. You go from being maybe in a career, and that's where I was. And then now I'm like, well, how do I reconcile being like, I want to be a career person to being a mom? How do I bring these two together? I did feel really isolated. And many of the moms I, I meet with feel the same. And then like add in all of the different elements of like my changing body, my changing identity, my changing, you know, career path. For me, there was so many big ones, but I, I was breastfeeding and I was like, I'm like tied down to this baby. <laughs> That's not the experience of everybody for every, you know, everybody is something different, but I'm like, I can't even leave for, you know, an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. I've got to, I'm like on the clock. So I've got to like feed, jet out if I want to do anything and come right back. And it felt like everything had changed and, you know, I'm up, my body hurts, all of these things. And then my husband, I mean, it doesn't matter how he was as supportive as he wanted to be, as he could be. He could get up and be like, well, I'm going to go run some errands. And I'm like, don't leave me. <laughs> you know, don't leave me. <laughs> like, like, no. <laughs> like, I, this isn't fair. And they, the, their ability to get up and go or go to a, a meeting or even go to work. For so many partners, it's like for, for so many couples, your partner going to work and being able to be social. I can't tell you how many moms I've met with that have said, he's on a work trip and I know he's working and I know he's providing, but he's going to have a hot meal while he's there. He's going to get to sleep in a warm bed and no one's going to wake up. Yeah. There's all these elements that although they are not intended to do harm, they are not intended to create resentment. They do because so much has shifted for mom that maybe has not shifted for, for dad in like in a heterosexual partnership. Yeah. I used to be so jealous of his, just his 20 minute commute to work. I was like 20 minutes to be in a car by yourself. That's living the dream right there. Like people think it sounds nuts, but like it's, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Anywho. Okay. Let's move on to mom guilt quickly. Okay. I wanted to talk about guilt versus shame. And then also just pick your brain for why on earth do moms experience so much guilt? This like nagging feeling in our minds that we constantly have, but I don't have that in any other area of my life. Never have experienced that until I became a mom. So like, why? Like help us all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is important. I think guilt and shame get mixed up quite a bit. And I think often we might actually be experiencing shame, but we're describing it as guilt. And that's fine because I think this is just a common way that people have described this. But these are both obviously human experiences, human emotions. When we think about guilt, guilt is often something that nudges us, that tells us, okay, 
I've done something wrong. I maybe have wronged somebody and it can be helpful. I will say that guilt can be helpful because an example I have is say I say something to my son and it hurts his feelings and he tells me that, or I see that I'm observing it. Guilt nudges me to, to shift, to pivot, to say, you know what? I'm actually, I'm really sorry for what I said. So it nudges me to do like a behavioral change and says like, okay, I can course correct. So guilt isn't always that all that bad. I mean, sometimes guilt can be unhelpful because it can nudge us in a wrong way. Like, for example, if I set a boundary with a family member and I say, hey, I don't want you to, I don't know, whatever whatever the boundary is. I'm not going to even give you a boundary right now. People are going to latch on to it. And they, don't, and they don't respond in the way that I desire or I want to. And instead of saying like, oh, no, I'm allowed to have my boundary, I think, okay, I did something wrong because of the way that they responded. So it can be unhelpful, but it can be helpful. Shame, shame is not helpful. Shame is when we take these feelings and these thoughts and we internalize them and we think something is wrong with me I am flawed, I am inadequate, and we kind of internalize all of these thoughts and these feelings, and we self-deprecate. So we start to, you know, really come down on ourselves. And there's, I think sometimes we think if we shame ourselves enough, we can change behavior or be a better version of ourselves, but that's not the way it works. We can't shame ourselves into behavioral change that's meaningful. It actually just brings down our self-esteem, makes us feel worse about ourselves and does not help our relationships any. So that's the difference between guilt and shame. Now, why do moms feel guilt? This is the million dollar question. <laughs> um, so why do moms feel guilt? Well, there's a number of things. I think there's what we have learned throughout the course of our lives of the, this concept of a good enough mother. What is a good mom? What does she look like? What does she do? How does she respond? And we kind of set that as this bar of expectation, a measuring stick of some sort. And any time that we are actually human and don't meet this really unrealistic expectation, we now start to feel these feelings of guilt. Like I'm getting these nudges that I'm not doing enough. And I mean, where do these ideas of good a good mother come from? Like you think about it, like, did I have a really great mom and maybe she didn't ever express her feelings? Maybe she was kind of like the martyr mom or maybe I had a mom that wasn't so great and I want to be everything she wasn't. Or I see what social media has you know portrayed mothers to be. You see like the really beautiful homes with the well-behaved kids, with the, the couples that are always on vacation. And they're like, the mom is balancing all the things. She's making the home-cooked meals. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong of like, that's your jam, do it. That's great. But when we internalize that as like some expectation for what a good mom is, and when we're not meeting that criteria, we always feel like we're falling short or we're ruining our kids. Now that's just like, the expectation of everything and when we're when we're falling short of this expectation but there's a number of things i mean there's a number of things that contribute to this guilt guilt can be a good thing in motherhood because it tells us that we really really value this role that we want to do a good job that we want to make sure we're raising resilient kids that are cared for and loved so when we do mess up it nudges us like i that example i shared you know I have been there. I have said things. I have done things that I'm like, oh, you know, I need to course correct. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't the best way. And so it does help. It can help us and nudge us. But we just have to be careful that we don't fall into the sinkhole of what, you know, society or what social media tells us you need to do to be a good mom. Because truly what you need to do is you need to show up. 
You need to be consistent. You need to allow our children to feel seen, loved, heard. Because that, and I'm, I know I'm going on a tangent here because I, I, I want this to be a message that's heard. In all my years of therapy, I've been doing this for over a decade. One of the very first questions I ask, like when I'm diving deep into people's stories, I ask them about their relationships with their parents. And no one has ever in my lifetime of doing, doing this work said to me, you know what? My mom didn't make me home cooked meals or she made us wear these clothes that didn't match or she didn't buy me this or that. Everybody, and I tell you what, like I've seen the whole lifespan, always talk about how they felt. Did my mom make me feel appreciated? Did she make me feel loved? Did she respect me? Was she? Did she show affection? Did she make me feel safe? Those are the things we talk about in therapy. No one's ever coming to me with all of these, all the, the, the extras, which is if you want to do it, great, do it. But I don't want that to be a measuring stick for what a good mom is. That's not what matters in the end. Like when you were saying that during my PhD training, I did a ton of the adult attachment interview. So like doing the interviews with people, it's all about your relationship with your caregivers as a child. And yeah, not one, that kind of stuff. You're never not assessing comes for up. like, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Are you wearing, you know, neutral muted tones? <laughs> <laughs> only. <laughs> yeah, it's no. so true. And I, I also think there's the guilt with regard to like what you're doing as a mom. But I think from day one, it also starts as like you feel like you don't feel like you should or you're not experiencing motherhood like everybody else is because in movies, in TV, like on social media, it's depicted as, like I was saying, hashtag blessed. Like, and I used to use this example. I think I made a TikTok about it. It was like, like the, the mom that, you know, oh yeah, like they were up last night 10 times and, you know, I, I didn't get any sleep, but I'm so blessed that I got all those extra snuggles in. And I'm like, what? Like, no, because when I'm up, like, that's great if that's actually how you feel. But people aren't open about, like, this can be extremely difficult and not enjoyable. Like, not enjoyable. It's hard. We love our children. But, like, I didn't enjoy playing with Milo when he was young. Like, I didn't enjoy it at all. Like, I thought that was normal. But I think a lot of people feel that and think, like, oh, my God, I'm a shitty mom because... Look at, you know, so-and-so. They're doing all these things with their kids. They love it. Like, it's like the things that you're doing, but also you feel like you're not feeling what other people are feeling, if that makes sense. I mean, I was rage texting my husband every day when I was having hard days. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was not hashtag blessed. I was yeah. like, <laughs> what are you going to be here? I am drowning. <laughs> like, you won't even believe this. And I'm sure like he felt like crap, you know, on the receiving end of thinking like, I wish I was there too. But yeah, I think there's something to be said. And there's, you can enjoy it. And I know that we're all different people and we all need different things and we all desire different things in this lifetime. And I think that is the challenge the challenge is we all have different values and priorities and things that we love that make us feel more like ourselves. And we think of like the mom role, you know, and when we step into it, if one person or a, a group of people says that this is the best time of their lives and they're enjoying being up all night, 
it can feel like I'm doing something wrong. I will tell you, I did not feel good waking up that many times at night. I was like, this is not my favorite thing to do. And I think there that's another conversation to be had about guilt is working. You know, the working mom guilt, that's like a whole nother beast. But when, when a mom says like, I enjoy working, it's like, oh my goodness. It kind of goes against what we think of this idealized mother. Why would she feel so good about being away from her children? But for so many moms, it fills their cup. It makes them feel like themselves. It gives them a sense of identity and a purpose. And that's, that's great. For some moms, they don't want to do that. And that actually does not make them feel like themselves. And they don't want to have to do any of those things. That's great too. And I think we have to embrace the idea that we can all be doing different things and making different choices and having different feelings because we were all raised so vastly different. We all have so many different values and upbringings and experiences. It's okay to have that and come to parenthood with that. And it does not make one of us better than the other. It just means that we all have, or we're all doing this a little bit differently. Yeah, we're all fulfilled by different things. So it's like, do the work in finding what fulfills you as like a whole human being and try and make that happen. Absolutely. All right. Well, okay, we're running out of time, but I thought to end, you could tell us where people can find you. And I know you have courses with, I'm supposed to record soon with Erica. She lives nearby, so we were going to do like an in-person podcast swap. But yeah, so tell us about your courses and where people can find you. Yes. So I am Psyched Mommy on every social media platform. (laughs) It's on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Pinterest. I primarily hang out on Instagram. My website is www.psychedmommy.com. I have courses, yes. So it's basically, I have like an entire postpartum course that is offered for moms in particular to just navigate the challenges. And that's called Keeping Mommy in Mind. You'll find that on my website. I have a burnout course on how to overcome parental burnout. And then Erica and I have a course together called All the Rage. And it's really navigating these feelings of anger, irritability, and rage that we can have in motherhood and how we can do this whole thing, this whole gig, by yelling less and connecting more with our children because we know that motherhood is it's a mother. <laughs> so it's tough. Yeah. So there are many offerings there, but yeah, that's primarily where you can where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, maybe when I chat with Erica, we can go over the rage topic because that's such a popular topic as well because it's one of those things that you experience, you think you're the only one experiencing it and you're like, what is wrong with me? Like you start the shame spiral. So Yeah, that's a really good topic. So yeah, well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you so much for having me. 